0: with small grain, like oats or something like that, at all?
1: Here in, in Western New York? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a few guys that just basically started here oh, a couple of days ago. We got a little warm weather, but it's it's supposed to be a little warmer here next week, so you'll see some guys try to plant some alfalfa. Yeah,
0: yeah, okay. Gotcha. But you were were you wet last fall? I mean, did you go into the yeah. fall wet?
1: Yes, we did. We we did. I'd say ninety percent of our soy, corn and soybeans on tracks, and we kind of made a mess. So it's going to take a while to dry it out. <laughs>
0: did you have those tracks, or did you have to go
1: buy them? No, we've we've always had tracks. That's been kind of like our crop insurance. We've always run rubber tracks, and
0: uh, <laughs> last
1: fall we needed them.
0: Now, do you take those off in a normal year and put tires back on?
1: Well, describe to me a normal year, and I'll let you know. Uh, <laughs>
0: Okay, I understand. I understand.
1: (laughs) We leave them all the time. Yeah, okay. You guys
0: ready to get going? Whenever you're ready, Zachy.
2: Sounds good. Okay. Welcome, everybody, to the April 19 uh, conference call with growers. I'm Zach Smith. I'm from Ontario. I work under Jim as an assistant to the Director of Research. And uh, I'll be uh, moderating these calls from here on out. Uh, we we're just going to do the winter, but we've decided to do, uh, I think, permanent. So, this call uh, this call will be split up a little bit. Uh, Jim's going to come on once i am done this little introduction and he's going to talk about markets and i'm sure knowing jim a few other things too and then uh, we're going to bring bruce nass on he was in on in february as well and he's got a picture in the calendar this month that shows him spraying foliar feeding lima beans so we'll be discussing that some and then uh, for those of you that got the sales letter uh, we put a question in there bruce is finding it difficult to make a profit on his corn and beans Ah uh, for ver- a variety of reasons, and he, and I'm sure many others are are interested in specific ways that you guys are are handling and managing your growing your corn and beans as to make a profit to reduce costs and and such. So any input is appreciated. We'll be doing that after we talk about the lima beans. Um, yeah I hope it' uh, I hope it's a good discussion. So uh, to start, Jim, if you want to take the wheel and discuss markets and stuff like that, I'd appreciate it.
0: Okay. Uh, thanks, Zach. My name is Jim Halbison, and uh,
1: hey.
0: I've, I've been working or hosting the conference call. And uh, while I was gone last winter you know, traveling around doing the meetings, uh, Zach took over for me. And uh, we've got a, a couple uh, pictures coming up that are going to be basically Zach's uh Forte, So I think we're going to let uh, Zach kind of take control of the conference call, but uh, my goal is to get on and uh, try to give you guys some perspective of what we're seeing out in the field. And I think this last winter traveling, it's the biggest shock to me was uh, the condition of the, the soil everywhere we went. Usually, you know, we'll, we span basically from the Dakotas, you know, across Ontario. And then uh, John Sensinic is working up in Massachusetts and that. And then that goes all the way down to the Carolinas, to South Georgia. And then uh, we come over into Alabama and then work our way back north again. But uh, usually we get into areas of pockets where it might be super wet. And then other areas will be super dry. Uh, everywhere i went this this winter uh, everybody was wet uh, it just seemed that uh, they went into the fall harvest wet uh, our guys down south especially were were wet as anybody and struggled with it uh, you know even uh, with the hurricanes they still had a lot of wet weather and uh, i was talking with one of our southern customers today and just saying that there was a lot of cotton that was abandoned uh, just it was too wet. Uh, insurance company told him to mow it off because uh, the the gin people didn't want it. The the uh, quality of it was absolutely terrible. So, uh, but anywhere I was, uh, that's all guys were really complaining about. They just wanted to get it over with because of you know struggles with harvest, particularly. So uh, again, now the gentleman down south, uh, he's got his corn planted. Uh, he's going to be working on his peanuts next week. Uh, he said, uh, hopefully by the end of the month, then he'll get into cotton. And he says that's that's kind of typical for their their goal. He said it's it's dried out here uh, in the last six weeks, two months uh, from what they were in the fall, so they're kind of back on a normal schedule. Uh, the rest of the country, uh, I'm sure everybody's aware of what's happening up in uh, Minnesota and South Dakota and, and Wisconsin. Uh, Actually, when they had that first bomb cyclone up there, uh, it was uh, when I went to Wisconsin. The number of roofs that were caved in was kind of amazing to me. And uh, we had guys up there who had uh, offspring that were making a living cleaning off roofs because of the weight of the material and how much snow they were getting. And so now they're getting another taste of that thing. And. Uh, that's uh, that's going to be problematic for those guys, and just the addition of the water, you know, with the flooding. Our uh, we've got a couple contacts, uh, you know, Nebraska, Western Iowa, <clears throat> and you know they're just saying that uh, the flooding in there, the devastation has just been unbelievable. And see, everybody is just looking at each other, wondering what these markets are trying to do. Uh, it seems like the government is just pretty well you know, set on it uh, with the numbers they're putting out, what they released Tuesday. You know, they they cut the corn usage, you know, they're predicting the corn acres to go up and dropping the bean acres because beans have struggled here. Uh, and so they're saying we're just going to have such a fantastic volume of acres that even if we lose a bunch of corn, which our Nebraska contact said we definitely did, uh, there was uh you know, a loss of both corn and beans. They couldn't get out of the bin. Uh and this has not affected prices whatsoever. So uh it's it's really uh really mystifying and so I think now uh, the weather thing is gonna have to be whether we get a delay in the planting of the crop to try to get any uh to try to get any rally on this on these prices and see the the other thing that they're using as a weapon against us is this this hog situation you know those guys were telling us there was a fair number of hogs that got killed with that first bomb cyclone and when the missouri was flooding in there that they just couldn't get the animals you know out of the facility and they basically drowned it in there and you know a couple of days after that happened hogs went up the limit well, now they're saying, okay, you're going to have that loss of numbers, so the usage of corn is going to go down pretty significantly, and then they're also saying that uh, this this African swine fever thing in China has really put a ding in their population over there, so even if we fix this tariff thing with China, that uh, the demand is going to be down quite significantly, so right away the traders are running for the door on corn, so uh i i think now the the decision is going to be are the acres really going to be there are guys going to be willing to take the gamble you know if you look at the <clears throat> the popular websites like agweb and dtn <coughs> excuse me those farmers are saying you know that they're going to jack their corn acres well uh you know we've we've had a few bad days here on corn so uh, we'll have to see if that uh, if that holds true, or if they back off of that a little bit and uh, you know go back to more beans. Uh, that's that's going to be the big question, and I think the government has pretty well you know showed their colors on this that they're basically trying to control this price because uh, I think they're quite concerned about the the economy itself doing it's doing very well, but they they've got to keep a control on this interest rate because. You know, the debt load uh, overall in the economy is is very high, and they just can't let this thing run to the moon. And that would be devastating for agriculture, too, uh, if this uh, interest rate would really take off with the uh, kind of issues that we're dealing with. And really, we can't find anything. uh, In my travels, it looks like uh, some of the vegetables, uh, cabbage, for example, uh, guys were very happy with that as far as, uh, cash flow is concerned, although the guys I'm talking with, the acres of cabbage seems to be going up. So we'll see if that has any effect on the uh, the total market. And then here in the U.S., uh, and, and even talking with the guys in Canada, the labor situation is, is going to be a big issue as far as uh, vegetables are concerned. And uh, we've had some of those issues within the company ourselves trying to deal with uh, you know what the politicians are are doing at the border and and how they're going to control some of this stuff and that that'll be dinging away at some of the labor pool that guys are using not only in vegetables and but uh, in livestock with dairymen also you know that are hiring labor to uh, that are coming offshore or migrant labor to do some of the jobs that they normally had done in the family so the the thing right now, I think, is the uh, the volume of corn and then the pers- perspective of a big acreage number on corn, I think, is going to kind of put the lid on that thing. And I, I just don't see that it can uh, do a whole lot unless we get some kind of, of help from the weather. And there's a little bit of that if you look at the long-term forecast. Uh, You know, they're still saying that with this Easter being late as it is, that they don't expect this temperature to really start getting any traction. Now, uh, one thing I notice in our neighborhood that uh, even though it's been cool, uh, the water has been getting away pretty good, like the water tables are starting to drop a little bit. and that's uh that's pretty interesting because we were like everybody else it was it was very wet this fall kind of struggled you know with harvest to a certain degree and uh the fact that uh this water is getting away the way it is 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 kind of interesting because when you looked at it uh in November going into Thanksgiving time last year it just uh it seemed like a quagmire no matter where you went and so even the, even the lighter soil uh, was pretty wet, so uh, I, I don't know. It's uh, kind of interesting to the fact that it's drying out. So uh, I talked with uh, Dave Prater down in uh, central Illinois, and he said, you know, there's, there's a few guys down by St. Louis that have done a little scratching around and planting some corn, but he said it's kind of sandy down in that area. He said out in their area of the state, which is more central of Illinois, you know, he says it's still wet and cold, and he said the forecast over the weekend doesn't look for a whole lot of warming either. That uh, that blizzard thing, the, it's pinwheeling around, and it's going to bring some cold air to even down into their area, and usually by this time of year, a lot of those, some of those guys will be done planting corn, so it's, it's slowing them down, and see, this is, uh, you know, how how far that goes will have some effect, but see, the the rate that guys can plant corn at, you know, the market never gets worried about it because guys can sock it in so fast with 36-year-old planters, you know. You can get a lot of work done. So uh, I think it it has to be, you know, something monumental. And then uh, whether we get any kind of uh, um, excessive heat or dry weather when we get into pollination, uh, that'll be the other that'll be the second time when we'll see if there'll be any any help from it but uh <clears throat> one thing that uh I would like to comment on uh traveling around this winter uh with guys uh they're they're looking at this starter thing a little bit different than in the past it's been kind of the kind of a weak sister as far as uh the total fertility program is concerned in other words a lot of guys are they got a certain amount of p and k that they're bulk spreading and then they're just uh you know kind of touching away at the uh starter and more and more guys are are starting to look at that totally different trying to get rid of this p and k addition and uh come in with uh more starter but in in total the amount of applied nutrient is is come down quite significantly and see the, the the publications that Ferry has been shooting out there, uh, which came in December and then another one in February, talking about uh, getting these plants off to a better start, particularly corn. You know, the seed companies have always talked about, you know, your rows around and kernels per row are pretty well set by 10 leaf, and Ferry is suggesting that when the plant is emerging that that process is already starting so that uh, if you do have a stress period in there as the plant is emerging out of the soil, that uh, you can take the top end off of that genetics quite significantly. In other words, he's saying that most cobs are putting out 650, 700 kernels per cob, and he said if you go through too much stress getting that plant to come out of the ground, uh, that, uh, that it can drop back to 500, 450, 400. And he said, you know, your your potential for entrapment of energy goes down quite significantly. And see, I think some guys are thinking that this is a way to try to trim some costs a little bit, you know, uh, try, try to get rid of that bulk application, get that money uh, into the starter material, and then uh, see what you can do there. Uh, but a lot of guys have already, you know, used that approach, And so uh, the only other places that I'm hearing guys talking about trimming are genetics. In other words, (laughs) they're going to Rural King to get their corn rather than buying it from Pioneer. And, you know, they're cutting that cost almost uh, in half. And everybody says, well, you're not going to get the uh, potential. But these guys are saying that they feel the yield is very competitive. And see, I think a guy's got to look at realistically what is his potential yield. Yeah, if you get great weather... It can be pretty big, but uh, how often do you get that great weather? So I think uh, if that that cheaper corn has the potential to max out in your normal weather, I think that's uh, got some real potential. And then uh, a lot of guys are questioning all this add-on stuff, like the fungicide, for example. Do we really need that? And uh, Again, everybody's got to make that decision on what type of weather they normally work with You know, you get in the East, you guys are a little bit wetter, so that's uh, that's going to be something that maybe you figure you got to have. But we got guys in the Midwest that are saying that they just they don't think they're going to going to follow that anymore because some cases these fungicides you're looking at thirty five bucks an acre just for the fungicide. So again, uh, with corn being where it's at, that uh, you know you're you're cutting a fine line there, and uh, I think populations are another issue. Uh, guys are whittling on that population to try to get the volume of the seed purchase down, uh trying to cut on that. And then from the herbicide standpoint, the problem is with this weed resistance, guys want to get away from just, you know, the uh the the Roundup spray and go to a pre merge, but you know, that drives the cost up right away. So again, uh, the herbicide issue has been uh, quite a battle as far as as cost is concerned, especially if you you want to use the genetically modified for any escapes. A lot of guys will buy Roundup corn and not use Roundup and pre premerge, uh, so that if they do have escape, they've got the option of coming back with the Roundup. But again, that that starts driving the cost up again. So some of those guys are saying I'm not gonna I'm not gonna live with that. I'm basically gonna count on my pre-merge to cover it and then buy the cheaper corn. And uh, that's, that's a big approach that we're starting to see. You know, some guys are trying to capture value on that non GMO seed. But again, that, that gets into a real circus too. some places are testing. uh, And uh, there's a lot of questions on how, how good the test actually is. So uh, that, that leads to another problem. So, i think again uh from from the guys i'm talking with uh the seed thing is where a lot of guys are trying to to whittle back on their costs and then uh, again <laughs> we've got land costs, uh, rental costs, uh equipment costs, you know, all that uh that becomes uh that becomes an issue as far as you know, what do you what do you got to ante up on this stuff to to make those payments and see that that dings away when the when the commodity is down. So, uh I think that's uh that's another area that uh guys are wondering, you know, if they can they can do some whittling there too. You know, when you when you got yourself geared up to do something, you hate to back away from that, but uh again, uh, the cost factor uh, can be fairly steep. So, um I I just uh I think from the grower's standpoint, uh, a lot of our guys are looking at uh, using more upfront material. Uh, guys are looking at the two by two thing. In other words, they're, they 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 want to get so much going, you know, early in the season. And some guys are putting it all directly on the seed and got away with it and like it. Some guys want to try to pull. They want to go more, but they don't want to stick it all on the seed. So they're sticking some of it over two by two and then lightening that seed amount up with the idea that they get enough on to get the roots over to the two-by-two position and then try to get the plant bigger. And some guys are are talking about walking away from the foliar application at that point. Well, again, uh, I don't do that. In other words, I do do some of that two-by-two, but I still save enough to do some foliar feeding because, again, if you get into hot, dry weather, I think that foliar can really get those roots to protrude more and get them searching for you. And, uh, so maybe you could whittle a little out of the foliage and put it in the front end. Uh, that's what some guys are talking about doing. So again, that, uh, we get a lot of different versions of what guys are, are looking to do basically. So that's pretty well what I've seen on the road, Zach. So, uh, I don't know if I took up too much time or not, so I don't want to take away from what Bruce is up to.
2: No, not at all. Thanks, Jim. Uh, Bruce, you are you you good to go? I'll introduce yes. you a little bit. Well, I'll let you introduce yourself for the most part, but uh, so Bruce is—he's a grower in uh, Western New York. He's been on growers for quite a while, though I don't remember exactly how long. He's uh, he grows corn and beans, but is the bulk of his his growth is veggies. As you can see, the lima beans in the picture from April. Uh, Bruce, if you could introduce yourself, and then we'll get into the lima bean stuff, the picture, but uh, there's probably quite a few different people from February, if you don't mind uh, kind of talking about what you grow, how long you've been on the program, how you use it, stuff like that.
1: Please. Well, we uh, we grow about 1,800 acres just outside of Buffalo, between Buffalo and Rochester, and uh, about 450 to 500 acres of vegetables. It's all for canning or processing. It's all machine harvested. Uh, corn, sweet corn, lima beans, snap beans, spinach, peas, and then we we fill in the blanks with well, uh, oh, several hundred acres of corn and you know, maybe 500 acres of soybeans. Uh, the vegetables have been the thing in the last couple of years. It's it's done the best for us, and that's where we we kind of. Figured it out through trial and error, uh, using growers on the vegetables to uh, kind of spoon feed them. Uh, We've been forced to kind of uh, use a lot of fungicides because of the weather, so every time the sprayer crosses the field, it's got some liquid fertilizer in it. And we we always spray in the evening, and so far we've had success. It doesn't matter what crop, we put a little in there, and and away we go. If if we're going to spend the money for the application, let's get the most bang out of our buck.
2: How long have you been using Growers then?
1: Grandfather used it back in the '70s, and we've we've always had it, uh, always used it. So I, I guess I can say sometime in the '70s. Okay, good. I
2: right. was talking to you just a little bit earlier, Bruce. You'd said that uh, you guys rent most of that 1,800, right?
1: Yeah, we rent about 15 of the 1,800.
2: Have you used any lime on the rented ground? I presume you have on your your owned.
1: Yeah, we we have when we have a, a relatively long-term lease, we use lime. We use a lot of gypsum too uh, mm-hmm. on the rented ground that we grow the vegetables on. We're very aggressive with the with the lime, uh, or if it's a one-shot deal we're swapping with a, another neighbor, we'll use some gypsum. Um, anything to try to get some some more steam, so to speak, out of these these vegetable crops because they're such a short day crop, you, you, they can't have a bad day, they really got to grow. So we're, we're trying every yeah. avenue.
0: Hey Bruce, what do you, on gypsum, what kind of rates are you using?
1: Well, it, it, it's kind of a, a tough thing because you know gypsum being kind of a wet product, um, uh, kind of sticks in a spreader. So you're, you're, you're trying to, I'm not saying vary the amount, but you, you kind of do the best you can. So, uh, for me to say we're putting on, say, 500 pounds a acre or, or something like that, it's up and down. Uh, like for, for any type of our snap bean or lima beans, we really try to be aggressive right up front and work it in. Mm-hmm.
0: What uh, what are you paying for gypsum? Now, yeah. is, that a, is that a mined product? It's not a byproduct?
1: It, it, it's a byproduct. I say that sometimes. It depends. Uh, sometimes it's a byproduct from the acetylene industry. Okay. Uh, and, and sometimes you can buy a reasonable, and sometimes as, a, as it wears on, price-wise, it gets a little more expensive. Um, mm-hmm. But the price is kind of all over the board.
0: Have you ever tried to mix them? Uh, we've got guys in the South that have done that, and now I got some guys uh, out in the Midwest that are. This gypsum oil, uh, company uh, has has come along, and and you know guys are able to get gypsum a little easier. And uh, those guys in the south have been mixing it for quite a number of years, and they've got some pretty decent calcium down there, and they're pretty happy with that mixing activity. Have you ever done any of that? In other words, like your 500 pounds and then maybe a ton of high cal with it to try to get the high cal to maintain it and then the gypsum to really get the solubility going early in the game?
1: We have not tried that. Uh, Usually, like I said, the gypsum, if we're putting it on runner ground, it's, it's usually... Right, all you know, the and may in a panic mode, and uh, we have not tried it. I mean, it'd be nice to to give it a whirl, but we have not done that.
0: Yeah. Now, you get the gypsum. Are you putting that on in the spring? Or are you putting it on in the fall?
1: Typically in the spring, because uh, we try to swap ground or, or run ground, new ground for the beans, and mm-hmm. uh, if we can do that, we'll we'll grab gypsum at that point. Because a lot of guys, you know, they'll tell you, yeah, it's it's the good fertility, but, you know, you kind of know your neighbors and know some of the ground, so you
0: kind of figure yeah.
1: out the best attack, I guess, to try to get the right. the crop to grow.
0: Yeah, <laughs> sure.
2: So focusing in on the, the picture then, Bruce, uh, those are lima beans. Uh, are you spraying growers? Is that a, a fungicide in the picture? Do
1: you remember? That, that would be a mixture of both. Uh, we okay. typically on the limba uh, we have to cover them three to five times with a fungicide. So there's usually a gallon in there every time. And um, we, uh, like I said, we spray in the evening. And when these things are in full blossom, we, we still put the fertilizer right to them. And we do get a lot of foliage, but we've, we've had success with uh, with the actual, you know, crop to with the fruit on the crop. So we just put the fertilizer to it. That's what do a you normal
2: know? recommendation. Oh, sorry, Jim, go ahead.
0: What do you know about your water, Bruce? I mean, uh, is it is hard, soft, and are you acidifying? What's that situation?
1: We're using all municipal water. Um, they ran municipal water here several years ago. We hooked a two inch lineup to it so we could fill a sprayer. So we're, mm-hmm. we're sticking straight with municipal water because previously when we used well water, it was hard and we had to use, uh, Oh, like a citrus product to try to condition it some. some, uh, yeah. but the municipal water has been noticeably, noticeably better. No, no problems at all.
0: Do you think, uh, is that municipal water you think they're pulling that out of the lake
1: somewhere or out of a big, yes. uh... yeah, yeah, it's right out of Lake Ontario.
0: Is it? Okay. All right. That I think some days, it. I'm
1: telling you, I don't know if it's had much more than coming out of the lake, because it's got a wicked odor, but that's just me.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> You're not yeah. too far from Toronto at that point in Lake Ontario, so we'll be terribly surprised. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Bruce, mixing the growers with the fungicide, do you notice any, Like, are there any things you have to prepare for? Or? or changes you have to make so that it doesn't get too
1: hot? No, what we have done is, if, if we're putting fungicide on it, it's such a small amount anyways, that we try to use uh, like 20-gallon tips, and we use high pressure to make it very fine, and we try to push it right into the foliage as best as we can. So we have had no issues, and every mode of action these fungicides have is different, so they make us uh, mix up fungicides. So we, we might use three or four different fungicides in the year, so we, we haven't found anything that's fought with it, let's put it that way.
2: Oh, good. Okay. Now, uh, you said that you spray out Blossom. That's not common practice, is it?
1: No, but if, if we have to spray because of a fungus issue, we just toss it in there. Uh, I'm not sure if it's cheap insurance, if we're, if we're wasting the product, uh, but I just, you know, looked at it if it's, it's in the evening the picture was taken was was late in the evening and you could see blossoms on those things. And, you know, I figure it's got all night to absorb it or it's, it's you know, it's there.
2: So. Mm-hmm. Jim, can you speak to that at all about spraying a blossom? Do you think it's of any benefit or not?
1: Well, the, the,
0: the, the deal uh, that we've always talked about is that the, the true stress on the plant is when the blossom is is fertilizing. In other words, when the bloom opens up, is when the actual uh, anthers are growing the tube tubules. That's that the pollen is going to snake down to to complete pollination, and that growth of those tubules um, is a very stress high stress point for the plant. So we always felt you know you had to get ahead of that. But see as often as Bruce is out there spraying he's hitting that time frame now the the application of the material after the bloom is out there um see because what you're trying to do is maintain as many blooms as possible the plant is going to perpetuate itself so it's going to recognize its stress point and the more stress it has you know the the less production it's going to go into because it wants viable seed And so uh, that's why it's so critical to get ahead of that. Now, with Bruce, you know, his timing has got to be such to to match up with the fungicide. So what he's doing basically is putting more nutrition into the plant that might necessarily be needed by the plant. But that's the advantage of growers, in my opinion, is that if the plant is not going to use what it absorbs, it's just going to shove it right into the root zone. And see, once it gets out into the root area, the biological is going to take advantage of it. So you're going to get some feedback mechanism on that. Now, if it, is that feedback going to be as significant as save, saving more ovules, you know, in the in the ear or in the in the pod or whatever, that's up for debate. You know, the early guys, Wilbur and Doc, felt that the 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 biggest success was getting more ovials vi- viable in there, so that's why that pre bloom was really the correct time. But see, with Bruce, you know, with a higher dollar crop like that, <clears throat> it's it's probably not hurting him at all because he's just feeding it back into the into the biological, which is going to eventually be in the chain that the plant can utilize, and he's actually improving the soil. See, that's the problem with rented land like that. You know, he's really improving the vigor of the biological there. And, you know, they come along and jerk it away from him. They're going to get the advantage of that. So, but uh, hopefully, you know, his his uh, his gross is high enough with that vegetable that he'll retrieve that. And, uh, you know, the fact that he improved the soil, if they jerk it away from him, you know, he's been philanthropic then. But uh, <laughs> w- with his situation, I, I just think, now you start talking corn and beans, that's a whole different animal. See, that's why I think the uh the upfront starter and a uh, you know, it's critical in vegetables too, don't get me wrong, but I think uh trying to retrieve that uh so that it it doesn't linger on to the next uh, the next renter, uh I think that's got some possibilities there also. But uh I think every guy has got to gauge that accordingly and see I like Bruce's philosophy that he doesn't want the plant ever to be under stress. So he's just going to, he's just going to feed it and not take the risk that it's uh, coming up short at any point in time and see that spoon feeding, you know, he's saying, well, he, he, he doesn't necessarily go to with a higher rate. He's using a lower amount, but that's fine because <clears throat> you're back to spoon feeding again. And that's, I mean, that's the way to feed a plant. They're just, if you've got the ability to do that, uh, and see, with vegetable guys, that's easier for them to do because they got a higher value crop there, so they got a little more money to work with than than somebody that's doing corn and beans. See? So, you know, he's well, he's on the right to, track. He's on the right track. Well, he, he, it's the old growers' customer who got his mind warped so bad that he's thinking right. In my opinion, well, what <laughs> we're trying to do
1: is is with the fungus issue, even after the plant sets its fruit, is we're trying to keep the plant alive to make something happened with the fruit. And, you know, you you get some mold issues in there and the the leaves start to deteriorate. If we can keep them green and growing right to the very end, uh, that's what we're trying to do to try to make tonnage.
0: See, uh, mm -hmm. that's that's another thing to remember with the growers, that uh, there is there is some sanitation value to the growers okay the, the some of the micronutrients are have sanitation value some of the other additives have sanitation value to them also so you are getting some sanitation on the uh, on the fungus itself and see the idea is with that sanitation and then the the invigoration with the balance of the nutrients that the plant can recover from that see <clears throat> the, the, the big difference—it's kind of like spraying peroxide, okay, or, or baking soda. You know, you don't—you don't have any residual value to it. It doesn't penetrate and then give you value later for any fungus that's sap sucking. Uh, and see, the growers is basically the same way, but the, but the, when he's out there all the time like that, uh, that's that's really helping. You know his he's having success with his fungicide, but I think the growers is helping his fungicide work better too because of the values it's got in it. Also, I I, I personally think that if he just went to water, uh, he'd see a difference from from the success he's having at this point.
1: Well, a problem we did have is. Covering the, some of these crops that many times, you end up with nice, beautiful tram lines. I mean, you can follow no matter what you do because you've just been through them so often. And yep. my son doing a lot of the spraying, almost all of it, uh, there's times where he's he's run out and we've left, uh, you know, 100 feet. Mm-hmm. And now the, the cannon factory's approach is that, see, you missed with the fungicide that time. That's why there's a difference. Now, was it the fungicide? Is it the fertilizer? I guess it depends on what your opinion is, but, you know, we've had some test strips that we've left purposely, and, you know, unfortunately when the harvesters come in, they, they come in with six machines and they can't weigh out that one spot, so we can't prove right. that we had any more tonnage or not. But when you can visually see something, something right. must have happened. Somehow we did right. something different. Yeah, no, that's right,
0: exactly. And see, that's that's really the – that's that's what gives – gives him the confidence to do what he's doing. See, those test strips, you know, we've been castigated for that for years, that you can't screw around with test strips because you aren't doing it as well. You don't have it uh, statistically designed and randomized perfectly and all that. I I don't buy any of that. When a guy does something and he can see the plant respond differently, I think that's very acceptable, and uh, I think it gives a guy confidence to do some of the things he does, in my opinion. One question I got for Bruce: uh, Do you do you feel the uh, there's any antagonism between the growers and the uh, uh, the fungicides that you use, or do you think it's more synergistic?
1: Well, that, that, that's hard to say. I mean, the jury's out on all of it. I think, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I think trying uh, to be politically correct, the the, the canned factory or the company we grow for, they pay for the fungicide application. So, you know, in their opinion, it's, it's what we got to do. Right, um, right. My, my belief is give us the money that you would pay us for the fungicide application and we'll spend it how we see fit. Ultimately, right. at the end of the day, I get what I get for the crop on a per ton basis. So if, if I spend that money foolishly and I don't get as much, it's, it's my problem. Uh, But they won't let us do that. So they say, you know, at this stage here, you're going to spray, you know, they have a crop consultant come out and say, spray again, spray again. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think they bought into the fact that these things are are helping. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know.
0: Now, now those guys are, um, uh, they do your scouting for you then, Bruce, basically on that crop. In other words, are they advising you on, on fungicide as well as pesticides or insecticides too?
1: Not you know they they do, uh, quote unquote you know look out for the crop. Uh, mm-hmm. But if if there's an issue in the area, like you know leafhoppers or or something coming, you know they want to make sure everybody's aware of it because the guy that doesn't spray is going to get all the friends to see him. So uh, mm-hmm. you know they do kind of keep us in touch. But uh, you know they don't tell us. You know they'd say you know your window's coming up. We might get some those wet wet evenings and overnights where we're going to maybe get the white mold to kick up. You right. might want to spray, so that's when, we, like you said, we go out when it's damp and put the fungicide to it and the the fertilizer.
2: Do they know that you're mixing it, Bruce? Absolutely. Interesting.
1: And and they we have suffered some grief from it, and I shouldn't say grief, just that uh, when when they make the ultimate schedule, uh, there's I think there's 23 of us that grow like these lima beans. And, and they have a schedule that, well, the harvesters will work in a circle. And um, they they seem to think our field man does it by us putting so much foliar application to these beans, because we put three gallons down over to and down to when we plant, maybe mm-hmm. four, depending on how the conditions are, and then come back with basically you know three to four more on top. Um, they think we keep the plant too green too long because they've, they've skipped us more than one time and had to come back to harvest our crop. Um, But my opinion is uh, we're, for us, not for their convenience. Mm -hmm. So they have come back.
2: I think if, I know that they don't because it's canning, but I think if they were looking at quality, not just quantity, they'd they'd have an entirely different opinion about your practice.
1: I agree 100%, but right now we're still, we're just still quantity-based. Yep.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, since they're coming up on uh, quarter two, I think it would be a good time to move into uh, the discussion about uh, economical means of growing corn and beans. So I'd put in the sales letter a general question. Um, Bruce, would you like to provide a few more details? We've talked about some stuff, but I don't know how much of that you'd like to share on the call. So if you'd like to share some details about your specific situation with growing corn and beans and uh, why you're looking for some help and some advice. Well,
1: just just the question that I have right here for us in western New York is is less than $4 corn doesn't cash flow. Less than $8 beans doesn't work uh, for what we have to, to pay for rent and the conditions we have because our good ground does go into the vegetables, so the poorer ground gets those two crops. But I guess I'm curious personally to know dealing with borrowed money with the bank, and our bank has been very much... Uh, questioning efficiency and, and, you know, where can you fine-tune? I think that's more of the bank maybe being a little more nervous than they have in the past because mm-hmm. I don't know where else anybody can fine-tune because you, you were right. I mean, you, you try the genetic thing. You try, you know, fungicide. I can't do anything about land rent.
3: Right.
1: Where else do you chip away at any of these inputs?
0: Yeah. No, that's right. That's right. See, and I think uh, – you know one of the one of the other big ones is the nitrogen rate that you're using, and uh you know growers guys are always whittling away on nitrogen rates and so most of our guys have already got that pared down pretty darn good and so yeah that's that's an area that usually you're not gonna get a whole lot of help with and uh, the 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 big okay the big issue is seed there's no doubt about you you compare to two thousand and six and that's probably the largest percentage is in your genetics. Uh, and then uh, probably the, the next one is uh, going to be, uh, you know, the, the weed control. <clears throat> in other words, when, when all you had to do was plant it and spray it once with Roundup, you couldn't do anything any cheaper than that. Well, we've had to go back to the pre-merges, and uh, that's, that's brought uh, you know, a significant amount of cost with it. So that uh, that's another area that uh, I don't feel a guy can do a whole lot of screwing around with that because if you don't get weed control, uh, that's uh, that's not going to be a good program either. So.
2: want uh say for anybody that we should to speak, uh, touch or type in star six first, and I will unmute you. Sorry, I didn't mention that earlier. Yeah. I think Bruce is looking for some. Uh, Anybody
0: got any input that uh, you know they think uh, you know give Bruce some ideas? You know the the things that I mentioned earlier is, is mostly the things that guys talk to me about. Is the number one is going non-GMO seed. Uh, and again, uh, what do you, what do you do about that, Bruce? Are you are you using GMO seed, and then uh, are you still? trying to control mostly with premerge and then use the uh the post emerge as your escape program?
1: Yes. And, and it, that does work well for us to be able to come back into the vegetables with, with a clean plate, so to speak. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, so that's that's kinda what we're forced to do. But right. you know, I don't think that anybody's probably stumbled across anything that's it's it's rocket science that it, you know, that's a new unchartered thing. It's it's just become very unique here for us uh you know when when the the banking industry is is critiquing things uh geez you're doing good in the vegetables well what do you think you can shave on the beans and the corn Uh, you know what we have done this year is we got rid of some ground that that on a probably a per acre basis hasn't made us much money over the years Uh, Mm -hmm. we got rid of the poor ground Uh, Mm -hmm. you know right I guess we just got to look more at that stuff because we get enough poor ground with the good ground, so we're, we're going to keep shaving it off.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, and I, we we see it in our neighborhood. Uh, we just had a farm sell that, uh, uh, you know, last fall there was one that went for like eighty-five hundred an acre, and this one, which is not as good a ground, but it only went for half of that. And see again uh, that uh, it's kind of ground that's perimeter ground, like you're talking about, and guys are just saying. You know, they don't, there was no competitiveness for it. Actually, an investor group bought it, Uh, all the farmers that are around it. uh, There was a guy that that looked at it, that bought right next to it, and he paid like 7,000 bucks a couple years ago. That's just how much it's deflated out of there, because he didn't even bid on it. And when uh, That went for, it went for like 4,900, and he didn't even put a bid in there. And geez, he's farming right across the road, and ground it isn't, as good as what he was looking at. And uh, like I said, I think he paid 7800 for that. So I, I just think the whole mentality has changed quite a bit, quite a bit. So I guess, Zachy, we don't have any volunteers. Anybody going to tell us how to shave on the cost and uh, make more money, the way it sounds at this point? No, it's pretty silent out there. What are you putting on? Oh, yeah, go ahead, Zach.
2: What are you uh, What are you doing for nitrogen, Bruce? And the corn,
1: uh, we we put it over two and down two with a planter. Uh, put the growers on uh, in the rows with a pop up, and typically we strip till with a gladiator and put about twenty five gallons down with a gladiator, uh, seven eight inches. And then we've been doing tissue samples on the corn and then coming back with uh, uh, Y-drops at the very end of the season to try to, you know, fine-tune what the corn will do. Okay. So talk about what,
0: y, I want you to talk about that Y-drop, Bruce. Are you only doing that once, and how big is the corn?
1: We're doing it once, and we're doing it when we can get through with the sprayer to, you know, not seeing a tassel yet, but it's up there shoulder high. Mm -hmm. and uh, we're we're going through at that point last year i think we got we got kind of nipped a little bit because it was so dry i don't think the corn was able to utilize that so i I think we might have hurt ourselves because of just the weather but typically we've seen success doing that
0: Mm -hmm. now have you got the regular y-drop system or did you make one of your own
1: well, we, we put a wide Y-drop system on our, we took our rolling colder off our, our DMI knife and mm-hmm. we put the wide drop on there and we can go in there when the corn's, you know, maybe waist high and, and make it work, but then we just put regular like drop nozzles on our sprayer and just came back with that just because spray it so much, to put the wide drops on, take them off, it's just too much to, to try to do and we want to keep the sprayer clean towards the that time of the year when we're spraying all that fungicide and no residual, you, you start putting anything that looks like nitrogen on spinach and it falls over quick.
0: Yeah. Now, okay, when you, you said you just now, uh, when you did it with the high boy, you just dropped it in the center of the row? Yes. You didn't actually no.
1: use the wide drop on the high boy? No, this past year, no. Uh, we put them on our, our like I said, in place by rolling colder. But so we tried putting it on when it was waist time when we could just barely get through, you know, tip the mm-hmm. corn a little bit. And, uh, you know, we tried it that way. Opened it would carry right straight through to the end of the season, and it didn't. According to the tissue samples, we had to come back with more later. So we just put basically drop nozzles on the sprayer and drove just because... Trying to cover mm-hmm. seven hundred acres, you know, right? It, right. It was just the time factor at that point.
0: Right. See, the they tell me with that wide drop, if you do not get that in that shadow, that water shadow of that stem, that uh, that that that's the only place where you really get the success. Uh, and I
1: I believe that they're right, especially on a dry year, because we did yep. not notice anything that happened.
0: Yep. Positive. Yep. That's right. Because our guy, we got some guys in Illinois that. He said uh, they, they wide-dropped in some real dry dirt, but they they had the wide-drop system on it, and it was late in the season like you were putting it on. And they got it right up next to the plant in that water shadow, and he said he could not believe. What had happened It had it rained, and the corn yellowed up a little bit for him because there was so much water. Well, then when that water got out of there and they were able to get in there and wide-drop, he said, man, that stuff greened back up faster than anything he had ever seen in his life. But they got it in that right
1: around that stem, and I don't think we maybe wasted all of it because we did get some late season season rains, and and the corn yep. seemed to. You know, yeah, I'm not saying come back, but it, it yeah, it didn't. You know,
0: it improved.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Right. And but it took the rain to do that. See, and his contention is, you get her over there in that in that water shadow, you don't need rain. It'll just the plant will get a hold of it no matter what. He thinks even as good as injecting it. And and see, it's a father-son, and the father was totally opposed to the wide drop. But he said some of the things they did with it, he was quite impressed with it.
1: So. And we think, I shouldn't say, you know, we're hoping because from what little bit we did with the wide drop at the height we did, when we strip till, you're only working that little area six inches wide. So if you can get it over there, it seems to penetrate the ground a lot better than putting it in that hard, ground yep. between the rows. Yep. But out of yep. desperation we, we did it that way and I, I don't yep. think we spent the money wisely that's all. Yep.
0: Yep. Nope. I think you I think you read that right. I think uh because see the the problem that that I see is <clears throat> so many guys um have been renting their applicator from from where they're by their twenty eight and uh so many of these are getting rid of all that old applicator stuff. And then uh, these guys don't want to spend the money on a new applicator, you know, for something like you say your DMI to inject it. And uh, this guy in Illinois says, just tell them the Y drop, it, Jim. He says that'll work fine if they, but they, and see, okay, again, the the Y drop itself can be expensive, but a lot of guys are trying to fabricate their own. And Steve said the big key is you got to keep it, you know, so that it'll spread that out into that water shadow on that stem he said you know guys are good at fabrication he says i'm not saying the wide drop is the only way you got to go but he's convinced that you've got to get it in that same position to really get it to work right and you're pretty well confirming that as far as i can see
4: so all
2: right Uh, Anybody else have any questions or (laughs) if you want to pipe up still, you're more than welcome, but uh, I'll give you a few seconds. And if not, then wrap it up. Yeah, Zach. Yep.
4: Yeah. I have a customer uh, made them wide wraps for uh, his uh, sprayer for probably about $3 a row. And, you know, basically the same, same unit as a, you know they're selling them for 3 400 bucks and they're kind of heavy you know on certain sprayers so it gets kind of heavy on the boom mm-hmm. and um you know if you just kind of you can make your own wide drop for relatively uh 3 4 bucks a a roll if you uh go through the time to do it get some pipe thread it and then they have hoses hang off the back but, what uh, do they
0: Luke? what do they do to to keep it I mean, do they have like
4: a Y there, like the Y drop that keeps those
0: tubes out
4: next to the plant? Yeah, and then they just have a a rubber hose that, you know, basically drags against the cornrows.
0: Right, right, exactly. Mm
4: -hmm. Um, You know, uh, Rydell's the one that did it. Oh, okay. And then everybody else followed him. I have about four other people that followed him. But, you know, and uh, they they do it, you know, and there again, I think you you're, 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 your most efficient test there is, you know, leaving strips in the field where you did it and where you didn't. And surprisingly enough, what really surprises me is how often on a good year you get just as much yield where you left your, you know, maybe you put 28% down 15 gallons with the, you know, at planting with the pre-emerge. Right. And oftentimes that 45 units uh, is enough. I mean, it's to get the job. Right. You know, and, um, one thing I was, you know, thinking of there too, you know, one of the areas as a crop consultant or whatever that I'm looking on cutting back at is, uh, you know, a lot of the, the soil sampling and tissue sampling. Um, you know, these are relatively cheap things, but they're generally not very helpful when it comes to actually anticipating and figuring out what's going on in the field. And really, <laughs> like like you said, you know, but, and, you know, they don't seem that expensive. They're maybe 50 bucks and, you know, the people use the the excuse, uh, well, with these prices the way you are, you know, you need every bushel you can get, and they sell them them tissue samples and the the soil samples that way. But you know, going through a lot of them here, we had to do do stock nitrates for that CSP plan. There is mm-hmm. no consistency in them 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 tissue samples and stock nitrates. At least the way we're doing them, mm-hmm. the only consistent part of them is the lab fee. <laughs> um, um, in fact, the okay. fact is, my 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 father who put on like 50 units of nitrogen um on on all four of his fields, he's supposed to do sample that or whatever. But um some of the stocks are reading about 5,000 parts of nitrogen, <laughs> and I'm um, triple excessive at 50 units. And then, you know, the, the same field sampled the same day what I could see the same method is saying like uh 70 parts per million hmm. on the same, same stocks. Wow. So either I'm, I'm doing it pretty bad and uh, it's enough work the way it is. I, I sure wouldn't want to do it way, way, you know, make it take all day for four fields, but that yeah. is something I would say after going through, you know, we probably wouldn't do that had it not been, you know, mandated by the NRCS office, but, um, those things, at least how we're doing them, I don't know, it, it hasn't been very consistent at all. I mean, you, and when you're testing nitrogen in a season like that, you're, you're testing a moving target. Mm-hmm. You know, when you check it, isn't it going to be different two weeks two weeks from then? Sure. I mean, one sure. inch of rain is going to change that substantially. Yeah. Anyway, that's just what I thought
0: uh, by the way, uh for everybody's information, uh Luke Griffith uh was talking about Rydell Neelan that, that built that wide drop. And I would say looking at the maps, and maybe Luke can confirm this, that Rydell probably got the most snow of anybody out there. Uh and if Lauren got got uh, ten to twelve, I bet I bet Rydell's right up there in the high teens. Would you do you know anything about that,
4: Luke? Uh, I know that I don't like it, and that's um and that's miserable, but i don't I don't even know how much we have it's blowing around, and it's still snowing right right as as we're talking here now yeah okay <laughs> um but water the water's very high it's been a pretty miserable winter here um most of the snow had kind of receded, you know there's still places and groves and windbreaks and things of that nature where there's still eight nine foot banks, but most of the f- snow out in the field is was disappeared until the last couple of days here. So,
0: what uh what about power outages uh uh Luke, I was a little concerned about Dave and Scott might lose power up there. Do you think that's a possibility or is everybody pretty stable uh, yeah, with I that? Guess,
4: I guess at noon there were 70,000 people in Minnesota without power, but I didn't listen yeah, to the radio know where orders. it is. A guy yeah. told me that on the, on the phone and uh, I'm not without power. So, yeah, okay. So far, so good. We'll keep our fingers crossed. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, if anybody wanted to see a picture of that Y drop uh and how he makes or whatever, I'm sure um Ridel or I could send you a picture and I'm sure he'd be more than happy to help somebody out there. I mean Sure. sure. Uh, he he's he's kinda of the one that invented it himself as far as I know and right. uh, I had about six, eight customers went over to his place and copied him. Sure. <laughs> He wasn't too yeah, right. worried about patent infringement for you know tel- helping these other people. So uh, <laughs> he didn't yeah. uh, he didn't want he didn't want a commission for showing it. So <laughs> yeah, he fits uh, the mold r- very well, very well. And 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 he did a, a fair amount of nitrogen work this year too, and um, he was you know did this, some strips, and mm-hmm. um, he was quite shocked. And some of the stuff he did too, uh, actually some of the stuff that he put less nitrogen on um the corn did not look as good um it didn't have as good an appearance even when he went in with the combine but actually um you know it was actually running um and I forget the actual maybe in that 120 range versus you know 100 180 200 actually Mm -hmm. yielded better than uh and the appearance did not indicate that you know it looked like it would have been less yield but it was I think about 17 to 20 bushel more in that with a little less nitrogen. That and would actually, be uh, you know, if,
0: you, if you can nail those numbers down Luke, I think that'd be kind of interesting. A lot of guys would uh, kind of like take a look at that if that's possible. You know,
4: he was pretty shocked by it because uh he said it didn't look as um look as good. Yeah, I I I, I, could, I could might have them numbers wrong there but I do I do know it was yielding better and I, I I I'm not sure about the how much how much less he put on. But he was for sure thinking that it was going to not yield as good and then. Yeah, you know, this, this I is mean, how,
0: this is this is the same guy that uh some ground and increased his bean yield quite significantly. So uh,
4: he's done some but weird things. You, you know, they get to this point, and that's what the the people selling us everything operate on is fear. You know, afraid oh, right. to have. You know, and a lot of times we're too scared to to cut stuff and actually learn what we need to. Right. And you know, if you're lucky enough to have people that make mistakes, that's where you do most of your learning Cause, um, most people aren't going to cut something. I mean, we're indoctrinated to think that more fertilizers is more money. Right. You know, until you until you uh, start taking a risk of actually – and it it's, uh, seems like we can get down pretty low on the nitrogen, does it not?
0: Yeah, I think it uh, – and, again, realism is part of it too. You know, okay, when you get a perfect year, you're going to get a whale of a yield, but how many years are you going to be perfect year, see? So that's uh, – I think that's a, right. that's that's something the guy's got to be realistic with himself, especially in times like this.
2: Thanks, Luke. That was good. Thank you. Yeah, yeah and that that appearance thing is consistent with what you said about the tissue testing too. It's it's not an accurate representation of yield or even of quality well, of crop.
4: And I, unless we're doing them totally wrong, but it it, it hasn't been very. Uh, I think a guy would have to certainly do a lot more than what we've been doing they just you know like some of them ain't that expensive but you get at the end of the year like our bill for some of these labs is you know getting up in there to several thousand dollars and and then you know the same with a uh say a soil test you're say it comes back and you need a bunch of this fertilizer you have somebody that's not with the growers program or whatever you're not yeah. going to put on what they're recommending anyway. You're not going to afford it. So you could have yeah. did almost that good without even going out there and testing it.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, Save that um, money.
4: Right. You know, and mm-hmm. sometimes uh, what I get out of it is sometimes if I can't stick the probe in the ground, I know they need lime,
3: you know, <laughs> to, to my opinion.
4: But, uh, you know, otherwise, I mean, you're, you're not going to, when you get these things back, you're not going to be able to put on what what they want what you need. You know, you're gonna to have to cut, 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 and then you're just gonna really put on the bare minimum, say on a broadcast spread, and you could have did that sitting at home in your armchair. Right. Exactly. In my opinion. But
3: it's just hey, it, it seems like a I waste wanted, of money. Something I wanted to bring up if I can, if I get time to have you been a good money? boy Maybe. (laughs) Uh, You know, you you guys were all talking about cutting costs, and Luke pretty much hit the nail on the head. But Doc Tegens in the book More Food for Soil Science talks about a cornfield in Virginia and a cornfield in Ohio. Both of them yielded 100 bushel. The one in Virginia had X amount of pounds of fertilizer put on it which was almost twice of what the one in Ohio had put on it. And the tissue test confirmed that the field in Virginia had more fertilizer put on it, but (laughs) they both had 100 bushel corn yields. If you remember that, it's in the book, More Food for Soil Science. So the point that I was going to bring up is, you know, them, them tissue tests, just how good are they? You know what what are they telling us? Are they telling us anything? But right, right. but he says it shows up in the test but the yield did, it did not show up in the yield basically.
0: Because what Mike what is the yield? The yield is carbon, hydrogen and oxygen, sugar, see? <laughs> and that that is that's not what they're measuring when they measure that tissue test. They're assuming that that tissue test being higher in those other elements is going to give you more sugar but that doesn't always work out that way which is what was doc's point.
3: I don't I don't have the answers to everything. I don't mean to sound like I do, but we've been farming three generations with this program without using a soil test to grow a crop or tissue test to grow a crop for all three generations and we've been putting out some pretty good yields. And I'm <laughs> one of them guys growing royal king corn. So I mean to say you got to spend all that money and all that time, if it, it, there is a lot of it that is just simply a waste of time. That's well. We there's a good point. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I know. Mike's seen some. You've seen some great success growing non-GMO corn, or or just at least not even on non-GMO, but uh, your Royal King corn and and. Uh, Basically farming the way that your dad did.
3: Hey, I got a customer up there in Huntsville, Ohio, hasn't used herbicide in 24 years. He grows whole <laughs> king corn or open pollinated corn. He don't put any nitrogen on. And I tell you, when you drive by his fields, it don't look any different than his neighbors. It looks like 200 bushel corn, too. He don't get 200 bushel corn, but I tell you, he gets 130 to 160 pretty consistently. And he told me here three years ago he had ninety-one dollars an acre in his corn. He puts three gallon of growers on. That's it. In furrow.
2: <laughs> no, no spraying, eh? <laughs> something,
3: something to think about.
0: Yes, sir. Yeah.
3: You
2: don't need two hundred bushel corn if you're not spending a lot of money to get to get what you do get.
3: Yeah, exactly. All right. It's all uh, good uh, night, gentlemen. Appreciate yeah, it.
2: Thanks thanks everybody for, for listening in.
3: Uh
2: Bruce, thank you for coming on. Jim too. And uh for those of you that spoke up, Luke and Mike. Uh the next call is on give me one minute. May the ninth at nine PM again. And it'll be uh Oh, I did know, but I don't remember at the moment.
0: Daniel Weaver.
2: Daniel Weaver, yes. Thanks, Jim. Daniel Weaver will come on we're willing. Uh, So hopefully, guys, you can listen in then. Thanks for listening tonight, and have a good night, everybody.